one of my uh, closest friends, who's not quite convinced about Christianity yet, called me the week after we publicly launched. He wasn't able to make the service, but he said he was able to listen to the podcast, and the sermon got him thinking again. Well, super interesting, right? He's, he's a doubter of Jesus, uh, maybe a seeker of Jesus. Uh, he's not a follower of Christ. But he said, Jordan, I want to tell you a story. This is on the phone as I'm riding home from work. He said, Jordan, last year during the Super Bowl, I went out to my deck to smoke a cigarette. That's a big theme this morning somehow. <laughs> and I was looking up to the sky thinking, man, the universe is so huge. Pretty profound thoughts during the Super Bowl. I'm not thinking of that during the Super Bowl, but he was thinking about that during the Super Bowl. And he said he was out there on his deck all alone smoking a cigarette, and he said he prayed, God, if you exist, will you reveal yourself to me? He said he went back in, he plopped down on his couch, and he looked at the TV, and this is what he saw. Now, I bet a lot of y'all have seen these commercials. And he said it spooked him, <laughs> right? He said, how could that be? I just prayed for it. Like, and then th this happened. And then I promise you, at the end of our conversation, he said, but it was probably just a coincidence. And I was like, what? Are you crazy? Like, you just smoked a cigarette and you got the universe. It's like, it's like, that's, you think that's just a coincidence? Anyway, and the reason that I say this, now we got to be careful about seeking signs or, um, you know, uh, looking for signs, because that can be dangerous and healthy. Luke chapter 16, put that in your notes, uh, warns us about sign seeking. Uh, John chapter 12 warns us about sign seeking. However, the clearest sign we have is in God's word, right? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the reason I share this story is because um, when we hear about Jesus in his word, Hebrews 1, uh, 3 says that he is the exact representation of his being, or we experience something here on Sunday morning, right? God's people are gathered together, God, God's spirit's with us. We experience something unique. Or maybe we're convicted to make a decision or make a move or to stop something or to start something or to have a conversation with somebody. We walk out those two doors and we say, ah, it's probably just a coincidence. And I want to warn us about that this morning. You know, uh, Hebrews 3.15 says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that would be my prayer for you if you're a doubter of Jesus in the room, if you're a seeker of Jesus in the room, or if you're a follower of Jesus in the room. This passage today is for all different types of people, uh, regardless of where you are spiritually. So I'm going to do something a little unique. I'm going to pray again. Uh, I'll, I'll be brief, I promise. But uh, I'm going to pray again uh, for us, that our hearts would just be super soft uh, to God's Spirit uh, this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word again. And I pray for myself that I wouldn't harden my heart against your word. I pray for my friends in this room as well. If there's somebody in this room who's not a Christian, thank you that they're here. I pray that today that they wouldn't harden their hearts. And for followers of Jesus in the room, we're going to talk about repentance today in some areas. And it's a hard word. It's been misused in some cases. But I pray our hearts would be exceedingly soft. And if you bring something to the surface today, I pray we wouldn't say it's just a coincidence. They would actually produce gospel-centered change in our life. That's that in Christ's name. Amen. In Mark chapter 1, we see three things. The first, repent and believe is the response of the, uh, to the gospel that Jesus prescribes. Secondly, Jesus calls us. He says, follow me. This is the calling of followers of Jesus. And then thirdly, fishing for people is the aim of followers of Jesus. Number one, repent and believe is the response uh, of the gospel. Look back at your Bibles in verse 14. Verse 14 begins, um, uh, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So the first thing we see is this transition, right, from John to Jesus. 
The first thing we see is that uh, John has completed his task as forerunner to Jesus, and now Jesus' public ministry begins, right? John has been arrested. His public ministry is uh, coming to a close, and now Jesus begins to preach. And after uh, John's arrest, we're told that Jesus comes and begins to proclaim the good news of God, right? This word good news is the exact same word that uh, Mark began his gospel with in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 where he says uh, uh, the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we are reminded with this small word good that the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is one that is for our good. Right? Jesus came to save us, to forgive us, to make us hate sin and love righteousness, and then produce unspeakable joy in our lives, Monday through Friday and Saturday too, and Sunday. But 24-7, right? He wants you to have a fulfilled and full Life. This is so important. You know, uh, uh, Jesus says in uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came. Why? They may may have life and have it abundantly. Remember, Christianity works. Christianity works. If we come to trust in Jesus and walk with him, we will find all that our heart is looking for. Again, not a life of ease. Nothing in the Bible promises you that. Not a life of comfort. Nothing in the scriptures promises you that but a life that's truly fulfilled. In verse 15, Jesus begins his first sermon. And what's the content of Jesus' first sermon? We'll look back at verse 15. Jesus begins by saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. You know, as we've seen over the first uh, two weeks in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is full of Old Testament allusions. And this is another. The time fulfilled and the kingdom of God being near are truths pointing to the reality that the promises of a coming Redeemer we see in the Old Testament are being fulfilled before the very eyes of those who are hearing Jesus preach in Galilee. And there are too many of these to list, but since Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is near, I wanted to give you one that promises a coming king. In 2 Samuel 7, one prophecy about the coming king is this. When your days are fulfilled, you'll lie down with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So God has rended the heavens, right? We, we learned that the first week, and has come down through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, why did God send this king? Remember, the Gospel of John tells us to give us grace and forgiveness and mercy to all those who will trust in Jesus. Listen to this good news. John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Or 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So God has sent his son into the world to save us for our good, and what is the prescribed response to this glorious news, to this glorious reality? Well, Jesus gives it to us in verse 15b. He says, repent and believe the good news. Well, for starters, it's very important that we define our terms, isn't it? What is repentance? Well, repentance, uh, one theologian says, is a heartfelt heartfelt conviction over sin, a remorse over offense towards God, and a turning away from sinful life, and a turning to a a God-honoring life. It's important to note that repentance is not confession. Confession is the fruit of a repentant heart. Right? Confession is agreeing with God uh, that something you did is morally wrong. But repentance involves turning from that which is morally wrong and turning to a God-honoring life, right? Turning to the one, Jesus Christ, who is morally true. 
And repentance means that we're turning away from life without acknowledging that Jesus is king over our lives. We're in the context of this passage, right? Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. And repentance is always declaring our allegiance or devotion to this king instead of other uh, lowercase k kings, right? We live for him. And in all this uh, beginning talk of repentance, one thing we've got to do is remember the gospel. Remember the gospel, right? Repentance does not earn God's kindness for you, right? No, repentance is the produced fruit of someone who has experienced the freely given gracious kindness of God. One of the clearest places we see this is, is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Listen to this. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, right? Don't get it backwards, right? God's grace is what changes our, our lives. Now, in our culture, we typically recoil at the word repentance. But remember where Mark starts. He says that Jesus' message is good news. And I want to take a moment uh, to show you that repentance is a good thing. If Jesus' uh, if Jesus's command um, uh, to repent, or in it rather, in Jesus' command to repent in Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 15, God is calling us to that which will truly fulfill us. You know, if we, if we think for just a moment, if God is the creator of every single human heart in this room, and he knows what will truly satisfy you, he knows what will uh, lead you to a truly fulfilled life, then we must allow him to rebuke us or to correct us when our, heart, uh, when our hearts look for in things of this world that can only be found in him. Joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, everlasting peace. You know, said another way, if the God you believe in always affirms every choice that you make and never contradicts any preference you have, then you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're worshiping a God made in your own image. I'll repeat that. If the God you believe in always affirms every choice that you make and never contradicts any preference you have, then you're not worshiping the God of the Bible, but a God made in your own image. Now remember, God's word said in, it says in Hebrews that he disciplines those he loves. He rebukes those that he loves. Because God loves us, he rebukes us. You know, recently, um, Ever's been getting into more, and, uh, my son Ever has been getting into more and more toys. And a couple weeks ago, one of the backs fell off this huge yellow giraffe that he loves. And uh, a couple of the batteries fell out. And immediately, because he's a boy, he grabbed both of them and went to chuck them in his mouth. Right? And I took the batteries from him. And he just came completely unglued, right? But my only reason for rebuking or taking that from him or calling him to not chew on batteries, right, is for his good because I care for him. And that's the same thing here. Anytime God's talking about repentance, he's taking batteries from us, right? He's taking things from us that will truly harm us and are not truly for our good. Or said another way, God's call to, uh, to repentance is good because it often protects us from things that will harm us. But repentance is the only command in uh, verse 15, isn't it? There's another. Jesus says, repent and believe, right? Repentance is conjoined with another prescribed response from Jesus, which is to believe. Look back at your Bibles in verse 15 again. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Right? Jesus' uh, commanded response is both a turning away from life without acknowledging he is king, which is repentance, but then a turning to belief in him as king. We believe what he is say, says is true about us, right? To believe the good news is this, right? We trust that Jesus is who he says he is. The Redeemer promised from page three of the Bible, the one sent by God to live a life of total obedience to the Father, showing us what it truly means to be human, right? If you ever want to know what it truly means to be human, to, to be human isn't to err. To be human is to follow and walk with God. Jesus showed us what it meant, means to be human. But then, as uh, Jesus lived a, a life of perfection, instead... 
of getting what his perfection earned, which is life forever, where do you typically see Jesus in pictures? Right, on a cross. Right, Jesus, the perfect one, dies so that God can, can combine both his justice and his love in one place, on the cross. Right, in the cross, God is both just in that he pours out all of the wrath that humanity deserves onto Jesus, but loving in that Jesus took all of that just and holy wrath for anyone who will trust in him. This is, this is what Jesus is calling us to believe. He is the Savior. Turn to life without him and turn to life with him. And again, this is true if you're a doubter or seeker in the room. You don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is saying, come home. Trust me. I'm your Savior. I came to save you. Believe in me. But if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you know, maybe you believed in Jesus a long time ago. This is still true. Repent and believe. As followers of Jesus, what do we believe about ourselves? We believe what God's word says is true. We say, I, I know, Father, that I'm forgiven, redeemed, pure, cleansed. I'm lovely. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a son of the Most High God, a, a, a daughter of the Most High God. That's what repent, repentance and belief includes. Now, an important question here is how often do we do this? There's this command, repent and believe. Well, how frequent are, are we supposed to repent and believe? Is repentance, uh, repentance and belief something we do just to become a Christian? Or is it something that we continue to do as a follower of Jesus? Well, the answer is both. Or the answer is yes. This is a huge misunderstanding for me uh, when I came to follow Jesus, right? I thought that um, repentance was a one-time deal, right? Like I, I turned to God at this FCA camp when I was 16 years old. I believed in him, prayed this prayer, and I went home and I would never sin again. And that lasted about 27 seconds. Right, so much so that uh, theology is very, 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 very important. This is why I thought theology is important. Uh, I thought anytime I had a particularly egregious sin that I was supposed to get baptized again, so I began to baptize myself in my bathtub uh, as a 16 year old. I took a lot of baptism baths. You know, it was like every other day I was getting dunked to, okay, I gotta restart because that sin was bad. So I'm gonna hit refresh because I thought that repentance and belief was a one time deal. Right, repentance and belief is a continual practice. Right, actually, you know, um, if you look even uh, closer here, uh, you'll see that uh, repent and believe, these two uh, uh, verbs are in the present imperative, which means that they're meant to be done continually uh, in, a, in an ongoing uh, matter, right? And the point here is that we'll suffer if we only practice these different di uh, disciplines sporadically. You know, to illustrate this, uh, Jessica and I have a neighbor who uh, lets their yard go uh, absolutely nuts. I'm talking about, it's, it's however bad you think a yard looks in your neighborhoods, this one's like 10X. Like I, bushes, trees, thicket everywhere. They don't mow at all. They don't even, I don't even know if they look out the windows. It's so bad. But once a year, this happens every year, once a year they hire a landscaping company to, to come in and they bush hog the whole thing. I'm talking about like a quarter acre lot in Raleigh, not in the backwoods. Like they bush hog it all and it looks pristine for like two weeks. So much so that it happened this week by God's providence. And uh, I, I went and I, I grabbed the Google Maps image and then I took a picture like a creep of their yard and then I run my sermon by my wife and she said, don't do that. So um, <laughs> if you can imagine just a lot of stuff and then um, you know, a really a golf course, that's the contrast. You know, if you're here and you're my neighbor, thank you so much, please mow your yard. Thank you for the sermon illustration. But, but the point here is they think that they, could, they, they do it once. And sometimes we think of repentance like that, don't we? Like we, we, we do it once. We go to a camp and we write a sin on a stone and we chuck it in the water. I'm not, I'm not even mocking that. It can, that can be a formative moment. 
you write a sin list on a sheet of paper, you throw it in a fire, and you think I'm done. And the truth is, though, that weeds grow every night, don't they? They grow every night, and you've got to get out there and weed. Again, these two commands, repent and believe, are in the present imperative. God, Jesus wants us to do them continually. Martin Luther says it like this. Uh, when our uh, Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, says repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So how do we practically do this? Was well, a young believer, uh, a woman on staff with crew, taught me a, a discipline to uh, repent and believe moment by moment. By moment. She called it spiritual breathing, and uh, she began like this. She said, how often do you physically breathe? Well, all the time, right? Exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale. And uh, this is a true story. She said, well, what do you exhale? And I said, carbon monoxide. And she said, you need to go to the hospital if you're going to <laughs> carbon monoxide. I meant carbon dioxide, right? And that's bad for us, right? That's, yeah. I think that's what comes out of your muffler. Anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with us. You exhale the bad, right? And you inhale the good, which, that which gives you life. So in the same way, spiritual breathing involves something that we do all the time. We exhale and inhale. And this is what happens. So, you know, Jordan's told me to repent and believe this week. He wants my Monday mornings to be different. So this is what, this is what I do. The moment you become aware of an area of disobedience in your life, through either God's word or his spirit or his people, you spiritually breathe. So what, what does that include? Well, we exhale, right? We confess, that's what exhale represents. Uh, uh, we exhale, when, when we exhale, we confess and turn uh, from that which is wicked or sinful or wrong. So this is, might uh, be an example of what it looks like to uh, spiritually exhale. You know, God, I know that what I just did was against your good and holy command. Give me the strength to turn away from this area of disobedience in my life, to be repulsed by this action, and to never do it again. Father, give me the strength to obey in the future. So we've exhaled, right? And now we inhale. When we inhale, we believe again, right? We believe the promises of God, that Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future, that we're children of God by grace. And then we believe that God can actually change us, right? The deepest, darkest, most severe patterns of sin in this room, God can change. So this, is, this might uh, be what it looks like to spiritually inhale. God, I know what you tell me in your word. There's no condemnation for those of us who trust in your son. I know by grace and grace alone that you've saved me. Uh, Father, I know from the book of Philippians that you who started a good work in me will bring it about to completion. You're not done with me yet. So help me remember that I'm saved by grace and then make me the woman or man that you want me to be. And we exhale and we inhale. And we exhale and we inhale. Every moment of every day, just as we physically breathe, we spiritually breathe. Now, the only thing I dislike about this illustration is that breathing is an act that you only do on your own, usually, right? So I was trying to think through, like, how can I make this a community deal? So I thought of scuba diving. Now, I've never scuba dove, if, you, if that's what it's called. Um, but I think you go down in the water, and you've got two tanks. For a moment, imagined, uh-oh, dropped one, and you only have one. So it's you and a friend, and you're down there, underwater, exploring, doing life, but both of you need oxygen. Does the picture come up? We good. Uh, I think there's two tanks. Imagine there's one, and the tank simply represents the promises of God. I'm saved by grace. You're a child of the Most High God. Yeah, I'm forgiven and redeemed. Right? Uh, no, no temptation has overcome us. Uh, God will always provide a way out of temptation. Right? And we're continually passing through and reminding us, uh, each other, uh, of what is true. Now, we certainly need friends to show us where to exhale to. 
right? You need a friend who will uh, every once in a while tell you, hey, bro, like you were really sarcastic in that meeting or you were short with your wife or, uh, you know, uh, I don't think you're spending your money in a way that honors God or I think you drank too much or, or whatever. Sometimes we need help to exhale together, but a lot of times we need help to inhale together too. That we take uh, friends, other followers of Jesus, and we remind them uh, of what is true. So how do we apply this? Well, if I'm honest, uh, this week I really struggled. Um, I can usually write 3,200 words, and that's 30, uh, 32 minutes. And I wrote uh, this, and it was 4,200 words. I was like, well, i got to cut some stuff out. So I struggled, like, what do I talk to my people about? It's a really hard thing, right? I always want to talk about, uh, or I always want to take the passage and practically apply it so you, your weeks are different. But there's so many areas in my own life and in our church that we could be called to repentance and belief. But I felt led to discuss one really practical area that I think is robbing a lot of us from joy in Christ. Now, in application, you always want to try to hit everyone, right? Single, married, middle school, retired, uh, Christians, doubters, seekers. But this area might not apply to you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. It might help you as you continue uh, to make disciples in our city. But I want to apply uh, repentance and belief to one temptation that a lot of us face, and that is the, the temptation to abuse alcohol uh, or to get drunk. Now, listen to me clearly. In recent history, I do think the church, man, y'all are lasered in. I should talk about beer more often. This is great. Yeah. Uh, All right. Um, in recent history, I do think the church has wrongly been against the responsible consumption of alcohol. Did you hear me? In recent history, I do think the church has been wrongly against the responsible consumption of alcohol. There's nothing in God's word that says you can have a beer. There's nothing in God's word that says, says you can have a glass of wine. However, there is a ton in God's word about moderation, about staying under control, and about abstaining from morally neutral practices that we individually have a pattern of misusing. So specific to alcohol abuse or getting drunk, because God loves us and repentance is a good thing, he issues several warnings about getting drunk. Uh, listen to Proverbs 21. Uh, wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever goes astray because of them is not wiser. Explicitly in Ephesians 5, 18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to le reckless living. Now, why would God call us to repent if we drank to the point of drunkenness? Now, again, remember, because he's good. He's a good father, and he loves every single human in this room. And for me, pastorally, you know, um, pa pastoring people, you meet a lot of folks, and you hear a lot of really uh, hard things that people are going through, uh, addictions. And I'll say, as a pastor, last however many years, I've never met someone who abuses alcohol and is truly fulfilled. But I have met a ton of people who abuse alcohol every weekend, and they're absolutely miserable. So when I see God's command here, it's like, I know that it's good. I know what he's calling them to is good because I, I experience what people go through. So what do we do? I would say this uh, to us as a young church. We have a really young church, and there's certainly pressure for all of y'all to drink in excess, both socially and professionally. But what I would tell you is don't live as if, as if the world is your king. Live as if Jesus is your king and that he knows exactly what is best for you. In a room this big, there are people in this room that drank too much last night. Can I talk to you for a second? There's grace for you. There's mercy for you. Remember the gospel. Right, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. By grace and grace alone, he has saved us. But in this moment, uh, like uh, the guy in the beginning of the sermon, don't harden your hearts. Maybe God is, 
using this crazy pastor from Western North Carolina to, you know, awaken you to an issue in your life that he wants to call you out of for your true fulfillment. And as you do this, I would call you spiritually breathe. Exhale, right where you're sitting. Stop listening to me for a second and say this. Father, I confess I drank too much last night, and that's not for my good. I know your word says I can have alcohol in moderation, but I've abused that. Now inhale, by grace and grace alone, you've saved me. And by your providence, you've brought me here. Where by your providence, we're talking about this this morning, and this guy's telling me that there's grace for me. So I know that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Help me to walk and live in that and not abuse alcohol moving forward. And again, for you, if you did that this weekend, I'd also say there's issues to all of us overconsume in. Everything I just said could be applied to caffeine or Netflix or social media. And there's grace for you and there's grace for others. But God wants what is best for us. So I'd call you from this passage to turn to him. Real practically, uh, you know, I was thinking like, how can I speak to the type A people who are going to be like, but how much can I drink, Jordan? It's like, well, I got I to gotta have a little section. Real practically, I'm going to give you some subjective but descriptive advice. This is not a rule. I need, one, I need a little participation. Did you hear me say this is not a rule? Okay, praise God. Hallelujah. This is what I would say. You really got to know yourself. Whatever the moment is that you feel that you begin to lose control, you need to subtract a lot of servings. You know, one pastor from Kentucky, this is not a rule. This is not a rule. One pastor from Kentucky says this. Two, and I'm done. Two, and I'm done. And I don't think it's unwise. So God's word's fine with us enjoying a drink, not to the point that it robs us from joy. So I would call you to run from alcohol abuse and run to what is truly good. Number one, repent and believe is the response to the gospel. Secondly, uh, Jesus uh, uh, tells us, follow me is the calling of anybody who would trust him. Look back at your Bibles in verses 16 uh, to 20. Verse 16 says, as he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Peter, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 17, follow me, Jesus told them, and I'll make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Verse 20, immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. When this portion of Scripture, we see Jesus call the first disciples. And the first thing I noticed when I was reading this in my office this week is the word Saul. Right, he, he repeats that for two sets of brothers. In verse 16, Jesus saw Simon, who, uh, Simon's just Peter uh, and Andrew. And in verse 19, Jesus saw James and John. And in verse 17, he has this amazing call in their life, doesn't he? He says, follow me. What does this mean to follow Jesus? Well, to follow anyone or anything always involves leaving something. And in this passage, there are two things that uh, Jesus calls them to leave. Did you catch them? The first is uh, their profession as fishermen. And uh, in verse 20, we see them uh, leave their families where they leave uh, their father Zebedee in the boat. So let's t- take these one at a time, their profession. So we see in this passage that all four of these guys were fishermen, and we can infer from this passage that, were, that they were pretty successful at uh, fishing due to the fact that they had employees. If you look back at uh, verse 20, you'll see that um, they had uh, hired servants. So they're probably pretty uh, wealthy fishermen. But all four of these guys leave their jobs to follow Jesus. Now, does this mean that everyone who follows Jesus is supposed to leave their jobs and work at a church or as a missionary? Absolutely not. Potentially some of us in the room need to do that, but not all of us. In fact, we know that the disciples fished again, right? We see that at the end of uh, the Gospel of John. However, this does mean that the primary reason for every single person's job in this room is to glorify God through your vocation. 
There's so many examples of this in the Bible. But a good one is Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, a quick review of Daniel. Uh, he's in exile. He's in the hands of uh, God's enemies. And listen to how one of the unbelieving kings describes Daniel. I want you to think, uh, would my boss describe me as this? Daniel is skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, uh, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. What this means is Daniel was faithful and skilled in a secular space. And if you read the entire story of Daniel this week, you'll see that God used Daniel in the secular space in incredibly mighty ways to make himself known and to glorify God. Second, uh, follow me is the calling of a follower of Jesus. And then uh, the first thing that we're called to leave is our profession. Secondly, um, or actually, let, let me uh, share real quickly um, what this looks like. Actually, let's go ahead and uh, skip to families. Um, verse 20, Austin, on, on page 8, verse 20. First thing you're called to leave is your profession. Uh, the second uh, is your family. Verse 20, uh, immediately uh, Jesus called them and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with hired men and uh, followed him. At first glance, uh, this statement may be alarming or even seem cruel that disciples are called to, fo- uh, to leave uh, their family. But even further, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, um, something that looks even a little more alarming, and uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even uh, their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So um, what, this may seem yeah, intense and cruel, again, is my, my point here. Leave your father, uh, hate your, your mother and father. But what the disciples are exemplifying and what Jesus is, is saying is a comparative statement. Right? He's saying, compared to your love for me, your love for others looks like hate. Their love for their family members looks uh, uh, radically disproportionate into their devotion to Jesus. So an illustration of what this looks like. Um, this means that we hold the Ten Commandments in front of our face, right? In, in our mind, in our heart. And we take the Fifth Commandment, which is to honor our uh, mother and father. We hold that there, and then we take all of God's other commands. And at any point, if our parents contradict God's word, we go with God's word. So um, a, a couple ways that I've seen this in uh, pastoral ministry is uh, a lot of times maybe a uh, young woman is graduating from college and she feels called to uh, go to Saudi Arabia to be a missionary. And she, it's crystal clear to her. She's got external confirmation, internal confirmation. She feels like God's leading her to do this, but her parents do not want her to do that, right? As long as she has external People speaking into her life uh, to help her make this decision. She's not making it in a silo. I would tell her, you, well, you need to, it's never safe to, to disobey God. You need to uh, honor your father through obedience. And that's what we mean by compared to my love for Jesus, my love for um, uh, my parents looks like hate. So number one, repent and believe the gospel is the response to the gospel. Second, follow me uh, is the calling of followers of Jesus. And then thirdly, fishing per, for people is the aim uh, of the gospel. Look back at verse 17. God's word says, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. So lastly, Jesus gives all of us our profession. He says that we will fish for people. And this is simply means being a part of seeing people investigate the claims of Jesus and then place their faith and trust in him. Right? Jesus delivered on that promise, didn't he? Each of us are, are sitting in this room because Jesus uh, equipped ordinary women and men to share the gospel with others where they work, play, and live. A couple examples of this. Uh, Jesus saved a woman at the well in John chapter 4, told her the beauty and grace of knowing him, and then she went back and told all of Samaria about Jesus. 
But what about in Acts chapter 9? In Acts chapter 9, uh, God takes a, a really uh, zealous, self-righteous man in Paul who hates Christians and is uh, uh, pursuing them on the road to Damascus to murder them. He kicks him off uh, the horse that he's riding, tells him about his grace, and then commissions him to make disciples among the Gentiles. Or what about in John chapter 3? In John chapter 3, um, uh, uh, Jesus confronts this really self-righteous uh, guy named Nicodemus who thinks uh, that he will be saved by his own works or uh, merits. But Jesus tells him, you must be reborn by the power of God. You cannot save yourself. You must be saved by faith and trust in me. And that man, Nicodemus, in John chapter 19, we see assisting Joseph of Arimathea at Jesus' burial, signifying they had faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, what about this for me personally? In 1968, uh, a man named Mike Mahaffey, who's the, the director of crew at NC State, was watching Billy Graham on a black and white television. And he wrote some questions in by mail, and they sent him a gospel of the uh, a, a copy of the Gospel of John back in the mail. He read it, placed his faith and trust in, in Christ, and then has been a missionary on college campuses ever since. I wouldn't be here this morning uh, without that uh, man. Yeah, he, Sharon and Mike actually together have had such a huge impact on Jessica and I's life. Uh, or what about in uh, uh, in uh, the early 2000s uh, in Greensboro, a pastor at a, a church in Greensboro shared the gospel with an eight-year-old girl named Jessica. And she went home, and she placed her faith and trust in Jesus in her bedroom. And ever since that moment, uh, my wife Jessica has been making disciples, fishing for people, uh, telling people about the glory and fame of Jesus, where she works, plays, and lives. And I want to be like these people. I want to be like these women, like these, th these men, who see the aim of their lives as to make disciples. Even for me personally, um, when I take off my pastor hat, and I'm done with work for the day, and I go home, like I want to be a neighbor who just loves my... Uh, neighbors well and is trying to share the gospel with him uh, every moment that I get. You know, for us, uh, we want to be people who are passionate about fishing for people, right? Seeing people place their faith and trust in, in Christ. Like fishing, this will require a lot of patience, a lot of skill, a lot of diligence, and a lot of prayer. You know, I read this from uh, Charles Spurgeon kind of uh, in the same lines, and this got me fired up. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap over hell, uh, uh, leap, over, leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not uh, one go unwarned or unprayed for. Right? I want my, neighbor, my neighborhood to be like that. You know, my family to be like that. I want uh, everybody I know to be like that. It's like I want to be a part of seeing them uh, investigate the claims uh, of Jesus. And as we do this, this is good news. Why is it good news? Because there's a promised result, right? When you join uh, Jesus to fish for people, you're not joining a risky startup that might fail. We know this from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, uh, this is the, the very end of uh, all eternity. And uh, John gives us a glimpse of what it will be like in Revelation 5, verse 11. He says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. And I want you to try to picture this. Myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what fishing for people is about. We're ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality to see others investigate the claims of Christ and place their faith and trust in him. Number one, repent and believe is the response to the gospel. Number two, follow me is the calling of followers of Jesus. And then lastly, fishing for people is the aim of followers of Jesus. So how do we do this? Well, I think you remember Jesus, right? Right? our Lord and Savior, who left his Father, 
we even think about this call to leave our parents, he left his father to come to earth, live the life we should have lived, die the death we should have died, and was resurrected, proving that he is God and he has the authority to forgive every single person in this room and all of our neighbors too. So we can take this gospel to the ends of the earth for his glory and fame. To that end, let's pray.